Good morning. If I had a chance to meet you, my name's Joe, one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be with you. We are in our last uh, sermon on the series of Micah. Um, we've been spending, uh, I think, around eight weeks um, with one week of break in between, so I think probably nine weeks total, working our way through Micah. And we're going to spend the last, uh, last Sunday working Micah. We're going to get all the way to the end today. Uh, before we do, I want to give you a couple of updates that I think you might uh, find interesting. Over the last year, uh, we've partnered with the city of Columbus to, and, and other organizations on the west side of Columbus to address issues around infant mortality. Um, we've been able to resource a community health connector and uh, um, find, uh, as they provide resources to women on the west side, we've hosted community baby showers and uh, first birthdays, uh, birthday parties. And uh, now we're going to take it up a notch. We are officially launching a new free store. It's going to be a store uh, where the stuff is free. That's how, the, that's how we came up with that name. Um, where a store with diapers and baby and toddler clothes and toys and other resources. But more than that, uh, we're really hoping for it to be a safe place for families of young children, many of who live in poverty, a safe place for them to come and to relax. Uh, uh, we're going to have a really great children's area, so it's a place not only where families uh, who we're serving can come, but if families want to volunteer, it's going to be a great place for kids. Um, it's going to have a nice waiting sort of lounge area where people can build uh, relationships. And then we're also coupling this with a, with a focus on a relationship building, um, Bible studies, um, and even down the road, maybe a worship service. I mean, we can imagine this becoming its own little uh, worshiping community. In short, we're really hoping that not only to help families with their most basic needs, but invite them to experience God, um, to know uh, the God we know, and to know that same love that we just sang about, um, that we know. Uh, we want to share uh, the love of Jesus. So here are a couple of updates for the free store. First, we applied to a local foundation um, and were recently awarded uh, $10,000 to get the store started. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And uh, I feel like there should have been an applause. Anyone else feel that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not making you applause, but it just kind of felt like that. Um, now this money's going to go towards the getting the equipment and the supplies and then even a little bit of programming cost at the beginning. Second, we hope to have it open. Um, you know, everything kind of is a, a lot of this is volunteer time. Uh, um, uh, Ann uh, Henze, who uh, is our volunteer director, and then myself, and this isn't the primary thing I do, um, and then a handful of other volunteers who are actually here as well meet every Thursday to figure this out. So we hope to have it ready and open weekly in January, but one of the things we're committing to is having our first event, sort of a soft opening this Christmas. We're going to have a special Christmas shop on December 15th. So we're really excited about it. We're going to have clothes and diapers and hopefully um, some new toys that we can give uh, away that parents can shop for and even have a wrapping area where they can wrap their own presents and, and be able to give it to the kids um, and, and kind of their own unique style. So this is going to be happening December 15th, and there's a couple ways you can help out with this event. One, if, you, if this is something you're interested in and you want to give towards it specifically, you can do that online. So we have the ability for you to give towards. There's some people who've already committed to, to giving money towards this on top of the grant that's going to enable us to launch this new free store. Um, the free store is really above and beyond what we do as a church. So if that's, if that's something you're passionate about, you can give to that directly online. It's one of the options in the giving category. Second, if you're free December 15th, um, you pull out your phone right now and make yourself free by marking your calendars. We would love to have you come. We need some elves. 
uh, to come stock and sort and just make this an event uh, a success. And it's going to be a fun thing, so you can come. And then third, if you want to donate towards it, we are hoping to be able to give away some toys. And so if you want to go um, and pick up some toys, we're not looking for expensive toys, and they don't have to be to a particular age. Um, the free store is really going to be geared towards kids under the age of three, but this event's just, you know, we're we expect the whole family to come out. So if you want to get a toy, anything, you know, nothing big, um, preferably under $25 um, and somewhere maybe around 10 seems like probably a good thing. So just, you know, but new toys that we can have in the store for this special event um, uh, for the Christmas shop. Um, if you want to do that, or even better, if you have a, a place at work or a gym or a place where you hang out with people and you're like, hey, I bet they're not doing a toy drive already because I know a lot of places do. Um, and you want to do that, we'll give you everything you need. We'll, get, we'll hook you up with, uh, with as classy of a cardboard box as you want, and uh, we'll even arrange to pick it up. That seems fair, right, And Yeah, we'll do that. Um, and uh, so mark your calendars. We're excited about this, and we're excited to see what God does, um, and we'll be talking about it more in the coming weeks and the coming year. The second thing I want to jump, before I get into the sermon, I just want to say this. Now, I, I just, just so you know, I grew up fairly disconnected from politics, and uh, I don't really want to be a political person. Um, now, this has meant a lot of different things over the years. Um, but as a pastor, it's meant most recently that I, don't, I haven't always uh, uh, tried to talk about politics. And in the past, I haven't always uh, dealt with divisive issues. If you've been a part of our community over the last year, you realize that's probably changed a little bit for me. <laughs> but, but originally, when I was like uh, becoming a pastor or even just a Christian, like I didn't even talk about voting, partly because I was probably the typical young person who didn't even engage the process. That, that much has changed to me. I really feel, and I want to say, on Tuesday, if you haven't voted already, go vote. Um, that's all I'm going to say on it. There are some issues that um, I have some thoughts on. One issue that I'd love for you to consider uh, looking into more, I'm not even actually sure how I feel about it, but issue one is something that I think is really uh, to be talking about. And I'm going to switch mics. We actually tried to fix this once, and uh, um, we got a new cord, and it's not the cord, so we'll figure it out. Um, so issue one is interesting, and uh, but vote however you feel led, but I'm just going to challenge you. I think it is part of our Christian responsibility in this really kind of amazing American experiment to participate and to engage in the process. And I'm talking specifically to those young people in the room who are registered to vote and haven't made a commitment to show up to the polls. You know who you are, and I'm telling you, make it happen. And if you need a ride, which um, I'm not sure... You do, but uh, we have people here who will give you rides to the polling uh, station of your choice, and they promise to keep the indoctrination to a minimum. <laughs> I don't know. They actually don't promise that. <laughs> so uh, so th those are my just two announcements. Free store, voting. We covered all the basics. Let's get into the teaching. Um, let's pray first. God, we come before you as we open up the scripture and we spend some time reflecting on uh, who you are and what you mean to us and what you have to say. We just ask that you would, in fact, to soften our hearts. Um, remove the distractions and the limitations that we might experience you, um, the risen Christ who is here in our midst. In your name we pray. Amen. So to get things started this morning, I do want to do something a little different. Um, you know how sometimes people will say, um, don't make me use my teacher voice, or don't make me use my mom voice, or dad voice, or Maybe I've, I've looked up a line, nursing voice. I guess that's something sometimes people say. Do, do you know what I'm referring to? And when they say that, they kind of mean like don't, it has something to do with like the, le the volume of their voice, but also like the seriousness. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I'm just curious. These are the types of things that you might say with a teacher voice or a mom voice. Put those up. You know, sit down and be quiet. 
don't make me turn this car around. Or just really simply, stop it. Right? Anyone? Anyone? My question here is, anyone have a really good uh, teacher mom voice? Also, uh, a side note, not a good time to nominate your spouse. Um, <laughs> won't. Not going to go over well. Yeah. Like, does anyone have a good teacher voice? Oh, my wife. You're, raise your hand. You know? I actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that about you. I, have a, I think I have a pretty serious one. It's, no, seriously. I, does anyone have one who will show us what, what it sounds like? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but anyone want to take a try? Come on. It'll be a lot more funner if someone tries. Yeah, it'll be funner. Yeah, you get, you gotta, you, you're a teacher. Let's hear your teacher voice. This is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. Yeah, 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 that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's a good line. That's a good one, too. That's a good example. Anyone else? Step out and be bold and courageous this morning. Peter's pointing to you. Do you have one? Oh, he's just nominating you randomly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hear it, Constance. Benjamin, if you do not do those dishes, so help me. There you go. No, that's a good one, too. Dishes, laundry, all those sorts of things. Um, I, uh, I, I want to suggest today that, uh, that, one, having that voice in your arsenal is, it can be very helpful, isn't it? And I would suggest that, that God has uh, a pretty good uh, teacher voice, uh, parent voice, a pretty good stern voice, too. And I even say that God goes a little further. Sometimes God has a really harsh voice that he uses in those same kind of situations, that God at times raises God's voice, that, that God even at times yells or sounds condemning or speaks with the kind of authority that only the God who created all things can do, that God has that kind of voice. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. I want to I spend some time and reflect and say, when, where, and under what circumstances do, does God use that kind of voice? in this world, and also in our life. So to do that, we are going to go to Micah. We're going to spend our time actually finishing the study of Micah. And uh, throughout the book of Micah, we've seen these voices come up. If you've been with us, if you listen to some of the podcasts, we've seen these two voices of God show up. And so today I want to zoom in, particularly in, on, on a couple of verses in Micah chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there or on your smartphone. It'll be on, a lot of the verses will be on the screen, not all of them, but a lot of them will. And we've referenced this verse already. It's Micah 7, verse 18. And so we're going to skip all the way to there. Um, but I think this verse and the conversation we have around God's different voices is going to be a really great summary to this series. So Micah seven eighteen. this is what it says. It says this. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression, the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever but delight to show mercy. So here in this particular verse, we see um, that God, in fact, does have a, a voice of compassion, right? That, that, but we also see that that isn't the only voice God uses, that he, he says, you, you delight to show mercy, but you don't always stay angry forever, which means at some point God is angry, and we saw this many times throughout Micah. And Micah is basically saying that while God sometimes has to use his angry voice, he prefers to show mercy. And I hope you'll hear that, that while God gets angry and is at times stern and at times does speak up and does raise his voice, God prefers mercy. God delights in mercy. But there's something else going on here too. The, the question right at the beginning of the verse is, who is a God like you? 
is the question of the entire book of Micah. Who is a God like you? Now, I know that this is the question of the entire book of Micah for two reasons. One, it's at the end. It serves as a summary for this conversation. But there's a second reason why this is. Because Micah, the the prophet, and then the book who's named after the prophet, the book of Micah, Micah, in Hebrew means, who is a God like you? That's what Micah means. That's his name. He throws it in right at the very end, playing off of his own namesake. And so this verse, Micah 18, if you read the Hebrew phrase, who is a God like you, it would read Myelka or Michael, or has, as it shows up in Micah's name, Micah. Who is a God like you? The very book, the very name of the prophet is the ultimate question. And, and I want to suggest that who is a God like you is actually not only the main question of this book, but is one of the ultimate questions we can ask. Who is a God like you? Or, or another way of saying it, what am, are we supposed to believe about this God? Who are you, God, anyways? And what are you like? And what should I expect being in a relationship with you? A.W. Tozer uh, once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I agree. Which makes this question really important. Who is a God like you or what are you really like? What should come to mind when I think of God? Is, is God just or is God mean? Is God angry? Is God vengeful? Or, or is God loving? Is God kind? Is God compassionate? And we have to deal with the fact that in Scripture and especially in Micah, we see these two very different perspectives of God. We see a God who is angry and filled with wrath, and we see a God who is compassionate, who delights in mercy. What we think about God matters because it colors our experience with God. And friends, I I would suggest that if we search deep enough the one thing so many of us want is just to be closer to God. To, I, I want a better relationship with God. I want to know God more. I want to I hear from God. I want God's presence to invade my life and shake me up and remind me that I'm loved and leave me transformed. I want God in my life. But should I, when I'm listening for God, listen for God's harsh voice? Or should I, When I'm listening for God, listen for God's kind and soft voice. Who is this God? And what is who is a God like you? And what what kind of voice should I be listening for? If you take time and you do a survey of Micah, or if you take time and do a survey of the Gospels or the life of Jesus, and you ask this question, you'll find some really simple trends. Now, one thing you might be surprised by is to find that God doesn't just raise his voice or, you know, get angry or use that sort of stern voice simply because we do something wrong. Simply because what we would use in religious language, God doesn't get angry with us or use that kind of voice simply because we've sinned. 
And that, that actually might be the most surprising thing about all of this. Because while all sin or, or mistakes or, or missing the mark breaks the heart of God, God doesn't respond to all sinners the same way. Some sinners, so to speak, are still, he's still very kind and gentle towards. And then others, I mean, both God and Micah and God in the, in the presence, in the person of Jesus Christ, is just really intense. So we see this in the Old Testament. We see this in Jesus, um, especially with Jesus. You know, so Jesus was, Jesus was known for being a friend of sinners. And he didn't become a friend of what the world considered sinners and, what, and people who were making mistakes by, by you know, sort of looking at them with these, with these negative eyes and just say, using that voice right from the start. Man, you need to get your act together. You know, Jesus didn't, that's not how relationships started with Jesus from our understanding of the Gospels. Jesus' first words to some of the people he met, people who were clearly not living as they should be, was compassionate. So consider the woman who was caught in adultery. It's a story you can read in the Gospels. Jesus stood up for her. And and in this really beautiful way, offered an intense amount of compassion. Or consider Zacchaeus. Here is Zacchaeus, the classic villain. I mean, he was using his position as a tax collector to rob from the people. This is the kind of guy all of us get upset about. I mean, he's like the worst version of the IRS. And yet Jesus doesn't even condemn him. He says, I'm going to go eat dinner with you. Why? Why would Zacchaeus? And yet other times, Jesus was really harsh. I heard sometimes people are like, well, you read the Gospels and Jesus was kind and loving. I'm like, you're not reading the whole Gospel. Jesus was really harsh. There was a time where Jesus went into the temple and he saw them selling all of these uh, animals, basically, for sacrifice. And they had all these marked up prices and it was this whole scheme. And he gets, he gets angry. And he goes in with this fit of rage and he pull, he said, one, of the, one of the Gospels says he pulls out a whip. Can you imagine? That's the picture of Jesus we need on the wall. He pulls out a whip, and he's, I don't think he's whipping people. He's, he's getting the cattle out of there that they're selling at ridiculous rates that are hurting the poor, and, and, and he overturns the table, and, he, and it says that he, he takes his arm and goes across all the tables and, like, brushes the money onto the floor, and he chews them out. And then there were also times where Jesus had some really bold and really strong things to say to the religious rulers. He called them some pretty intense things, some that we'd even consider name-calling. Now, in all of these cases, from Zacchaeus to the people in the temple, they were people not living as they should. They had sinned. But sometimes Jesus was harsh. And sometimes Jesus wasn't. So when Jesus is one versus the other, why? When should we expect God's voice versus God's other voice in our life? The good news is the answer is really simple. It's found in the Old and the New Testament. And it's summarized in a very simple proverb that's quoted in many different ways with different language over and over again. And to summarize it, it simply says this. God gives grace to the humble, but God confronts the proud. Here's how he says it in Proverbs. He says, he mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. He's creating two categories here. And one, he confronts, and the other, he comforts. Or in Matthew, it says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, brought down, and those who are humble themselves will be exalted, Matthew 23, 12. Or in Luke, he says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. Mary says, right around the time in the Christmas story. Or in James, summarizes it very well. He says, but he gives us more grace. 
And that is why scripture says, he even points out, like scripture keeps, says this, God opposes the proud, confronts the proud, but shows favor, comforts the humble. There's actually a number of other places that you see something similar as this. And all of these are saying the same thing. I encourage you to write this down. God confronts the proud. God comforts the humble. In this passage in James 4, 6, the Greek word here for proud is um, actually uh, hyperphanos. It's uh, two Greek words, uh, hyper and phano. Now, phano means to shine. And hyper, you can kind of, uh, you can guess what that means. Something is hyper, it's, it's, it's over the top. Well, um, a literal translation of this compound word uh, for someone who is proud would be overshiner. It's like a light that's turned on too bright and it's blinding everyone else. So this is a good way to understand the pride that we're talking about here. It's not a, I have a pride for my hometown or I'm proud to be an American. We use the word proud in a lot of different ways. But this is talking about someone who gets their value from being better than other people, an overshiner. It's someone whose value is wrapped up by having more wealth or more power or more influence or more whatever than someone else. And it's specifically someone who paints the world and and tries to make the world seem like there are winners and losers, and that they're a winner and that you're a loser, that I'm strong and that you're weak. And if someone someone is, is, is... it's someone who's all about where you are ranked. And, if you, and it's someone who intentionally creates a ranking system that ensures that they're at the top, that they're the brightest and overshiner, that they're the best, even if they aren't. They're the ones who are proud, overshiners. And in that ranking system, here's what Scripture says. If you place yourself at the top, or even create a ranking system that puts you at the top, you are better be ready to hear God's harsh voice. You're going to get a good talking to. But if you find yourself down here, and God's got nothing but grace and compassion for you. Now, there are all kinds of people who might be proud by this definition. I think it's something we all struggle with. But when we survey Micah and even the Gospels or the life of Jesus, we see God confront and challenge a particular kind of proud people, a particular kind of pride. And, and that's what I want to spend today. I want to look at these trends. Because if you look at them, they're, 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 they're so obvious over and over in the Gospels and in Micah and other places in the Bible. I'm going to give you five things that set someone apart as the kind of person, the typical kind of person that God might use his stern voice towards. So we can know what to expect from God a little bit more. So five characteristics, and they can tend to build on each other. So here's the first one. It might surprise you. God tends to be harsh towards religious people. Oh, over and over again we see this. In Micah, Micah's harshest words weren't for the average person living in the world at the time. He was calling out Israel and Judah. Jesus is the same way. Do you know, during the time of Jesus, the people who were really screwing things up, who were really oppressing people, were the Romans? I mean, they were doing some really terrible things. Actually, you know, the crucifixion was the Romans, you know, like they're the ones who are doing that. And yet Jesus, 
never directly criticizes Rome. Now, the Bible does in a lot of other places, but Jesus himself doesn't like go to Herod and like call him out. He spends all of his time criticizing, calling out, challenging, and being really stern towards the religious rulers over and over again. And in fact, this is something that we really struggle with because I, I, I'll, I'm not on Facebook much anymore. I get on there occasionally for some groups I have to keep on tabs on, but um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, and I, I saw this just recently where people will call out uh, when, when Christians aren't doing what they should be doing, and one of the responses I get over and over again that people respond to, maybe you've seen this too, is like, man, why are you bashing your own team? Like, why, why like, like there's a sense that like you shouldn't, like we should all protect each other's identity and, and, and make sure that our reputation isn't hurt in the eyes of the world. Well, Jesus wouldn't, didn't follow those rules, he called out specifically more than any other population. In fact, the only population was, was, um, was the religious people. And there's a reason for that. People who are a part of God's family, people who are a part of the people of God in the, in, in Israel, during the Old Testament or, or a part, who are followers of Jesus in the New Testament, they are that because... They received a free gift. And so anyone who sets themselves up as better than someone else because of something they could do nothing to earn, that's dangerous. And so religious people shouldn't use this completely free gift you've done nothing for as a way to hold themselves up over other people. And that leads us to number two. God tends to use his harsh voice, especially towards religious people, who misuse their power. And let me just say, religious people have power. Religious leaders, faith leaders, Jewish leaders during the time of Israel, even you as a follower of Jesus, there's a sense of power. Because I'm telling you, one of the deep desires of our hearts and the average person you walk across is, to, is wondering, even if they're not aware of it, does God love me? And, and, and as somebody who claims to represent God, you have a certain amount of influence and power. This is one of the primary things that Micah and um, uh, Jesus call out. He's, Jesus doesn't spend his time challenging the average Jew who's living in the time of Jesus. He calls out specifically the rulers of Israel. He calls out the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And Micah is the same way. He calls out the, the, the leaders and the priests and the prophets. We looked at this. And there is something to be said that if you, that as somebody who's following God, you have a certain amount of influence, and that if you put yourself in a place of leadership in God's family, you have serious influence, and you shouldn't take it lightly. In fact, this is how James says it. In James uh, 3.1, it says, not many of you should become teachers. What an encouraging, you know, for those who are considering. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because he's talking specifically spiritual teachers, so just relax. But it probably there's some principles here that apply to the education world. Um, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Scripture says it right here. You want to know when God uses his stern voice? He's going to use it more likely to religious people who are in a place of influence. That's me. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> Jesus says it like this, uh, the, the really the loving, compassionate Jesus that we all know and love. Matthew 18, he says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in him, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. We use this uh, verse in our uh, City Kids training. <laughs> right? 
I mean, seriously, it's the most vulnerable. You don't, this is serious work. <laughs> He's, millstone was this, you know, big, big stone that they used uh, to, to ground up a grain. And Jesus is saying, like, it'd be better to just tie that and it thrown into the sea. Like, like, like you abuse someone under your influence and you're going to get the cement shoes. Jesus, the original gangster. And the same with Micah. Micah is calling out specifically the leaders of Israel. Micah 3.11 says this, Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. The leaders were the ones that he was challenging. The priests, the judges, and the prophets. Three branches of, of leadership in Israel. And all of that, their motivation was for a better paycheck. And that's, that's the next category that we tend to see God using in the harsh force. God is most harsh towards religious people who misuse their power to gain more wealth. I mentioned early um, how Jesus overturned the tables in the temple. He did that because people were selling things in the temple. They, were, they turned it into this scheme where they could make a lot of money. They had turned worship into an enterprise for making money. And they, they were religious, they had the power to do it, and they were using their religion and their power to make lots of money. And this, the same with Micah. The religious rulers were leveraging their power. The leaders were taking bribes to make calls, and the prophets were, were telling you what you wanted to hear based on how much you would pay. Micah 3.5 says this, As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare for, to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. He's basically saying like the prophets were prophesying not based on what God was telling them, but based entirely on what the paycheck looked like. So you give me lots of stuff, I'll tell you God loves you. You don't give me lots of stuff, and I'm going to call damnation down upon you. As for the leaders, Micah talks also about the leaders. He says those who had money or wealth or power, they were, they were using that wealth and power to buy houses, and they were putting the poor and the widow out into the street. Micah 2.2 says they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them, and they defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. So they use their power and their religious influence and their wealth to hurt people. And that leads to the next reason God might raise his voice. God uses his harshest voice to religious people who misuse their power to gain more wealth and thus hurt people, either intentionally or unintentionally. Now, Jesus overturned those tables in the temple not just because they were making lots of money in the temple or they, were, they turned this sacred, this sacred experience into an enterprise. Um, they, he did it because the way in which the scheme worked in the temple was to make it almost impossible for someone living in poverty to worship God without going into serious debt. And so they were jacking up the prices to all of these animals that you had to use in temple sacrifice and worship. And you had to buy them from the temple. You couldn't bring your own or bring, buy it outside the temple because there was this clause in the Old Testament that said, you know, use an animal without blemish. And, and so they basically taught that the only way to get an animal without blemish is to buy it in the temple. And so they were able to jack up the prices. It was, it was basically like buying a hot dog at Cedar Point. I mean, that's what was happening here. And it, but it was robbing people from the ability to worship God. It was hurting them. And so the religious rulers, they had this power 
They, and Jesus, he says, even once, he says to the religious, religious, he says, you keep lobbying all these rules on the people's back, but then you don't do anything to help them carry it. So it's like this idea that you're making all these people wear these backpacks, you're putting all of these additional burdens into the backpack, and then you're doing nothing to help them on the journey. So basically, you're, you're pretending to be their leader, but you're just hurting them. You're not helping them grow. You're not helping them follow God more. The same thing in Micah. The ways that the people use their wealth and their power and their religion was hurting the average person. Micah 3 says in verse 2 and 3 says, You who hate good and love evil, who tear skin from my people and flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Now this is very violent language and it's hyperbole. They weren't actually cannibals, but the point was meant to be clear. The leader's actions were hurting people in the worst ways possible. And friends, God is not okay with that. In fact, I've, I've sensed that when we hurt God, you know, when we fail to love God, like when, if we cheat on God with our priorities or our attention or, or our, our when we, when, we, when we break the greatest commandment to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, when we fail to love God, I think God does get upset and God does get angry. But I've sensed that when that happens, God tends to come to me almost in an attempt to win me back over with kindness. Romans says that, that God's kindness leads us to repentance. So I think when I fail to love God, God is upset, but God doesn't yell at me. God, God just wants me to come back home. It's the story of the prophet. Just come back home. Be with me again. I want to, it's this divine romance. Just come be with me. But when I break the second commandment, when I fail to love um, other people, or more specifically, when what I do hurts someone else, all of those things are still true, but I think God's voice starts out really stern. I think God can handle us hurting him. We shouldn't, but God can handle it, and God is quick to forgive. And, but when we're hurting other people, I think God's response is, in the most intense voice possible, stop it. And there's a reason. When people are hurt by religious people, by, especially by religious leaders, people who are claiming to represent God, especially if they're misusing their power, motivated by money, or motivated by some other thing like money, sex, power, whatever. It not only hurts someone, it hurts the way they view God. There's this uh, great movie, it's very intense. Uh, I do recommend it um, to watch, uh, called Spotlight. It, it deals with some of the abuse that was happening in the Catholic Church in Boston. Um, in one scene, one of the survivors talked about how his abuse at the hands of a priest weren't just physical abuse, but spiritual abuse. And he said this, uh, it's a fictional uh, representation, but, it, but I think it, it really speaks, to, speaks volumes. He says that when a priest does this to you, he robs you of your faith. You know, when religious people, especially religious leaders, um, misuse their power, uh, especially if they do in the name of God or in the name of Jesus, and they hurt someone, they don't just hurt them. They, they can rob them of their relationship with God and rob them of their faith. And, and that's the last one. God is harsh towards religious people who misuse their power to gain wealth or some other kind of thing like wealth and hurt people, pushing them away from God. When people, in the name of God, 
use their sins and their power to hurt people. It ultimately pushes them away from God and from God's community, and we've seen it over and over again. And God is not okay with that. And when that happens, God isn't very nice. God's strict. God is serious. God isn't playing around. In times like that, God is serious. So is God going to use his harsh force, his harsh voice in your life? Well, consider this. Are you claiming to follow Jesus? Are you someone who is misusing their power or their influence? Are your motives to gain more wealth or some other thing that isn't love and thus willing to hurt people to get it? And are you pushing people away from God? Now, I share that with you not because I'm assuming there are people here who are doing that. There might be, but I'm not operating out of that assumption. Maybe that's, maybe that's what you needed to hear, and, and you needed to know that God's not okay with what you're doing. But I'm telling you this more so because um, there are likely, and I'm pretty sure there are, people here who aren't doing any of those things, and yet they still think God is angry with them. So you need to hear this. Not every harsh voice in your life is from God or of God. In fact, I wonder if there isn't someone here who has some sort of harsh voice in their life, some sort of angry, mean, disappointed voice in their life, and someone just keeps yelling at them, you're not good enough, sit down, be quiet, don't, you know, you better do the dishes, get it together, grow up be a man, act like whatever it is, and you just can't quiet it. And, and, And I'm afraid that you might be tempted to assume that that voice is God's voice. When in reality, that voice isn't God. It's just an echo of someone else. An echo that got lodged in your head and you can't get it out. Maybe it's the echo of of your mom, your dad, or that professor you had, or that pastor you had, or that ex-boyfriend, or that girlfriend, or maybe it's the echo of someone who was religious, who misused their power and hurt you, pushing you away, and now you think that voice, it's God's voice. And if that's you, I'm sorry. And please, don't believe that voice. Think with me for a second. If you've been hurt, or if you're depressed or confused, if you're insecure about something or or afraid, if you have doubts or questions, if you feel like you can never do enough or you, you worry that you're never good enough, if you feel guilty or you feel dirty or you feel wrong or you feel broken, if that's you, think about this. Pain, hurt, depression, doubts. Does that sound like someone who is an overshiner? Does that sound like someone who gets their value by ranking themselves above other people? Does that sound like pride? No. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like someone who's in a lowly place, the kind of place God likes to lift people out of, the places where God comes with a voice of comfort. So friends, if if you're in the room and that's you, God isn't mad at you. God isn't yelling at you. You know, I'm just afraid that sometimes when we get in those lowest places, and I've been there, friends, I've I've been there, and when we get down on ourselves and we're we're struggling, that it's in those times that we we sometimes assume the worst about God, and we assume that some of those voices are God, and we assume that God is disappointed with us or upset with us. And so, friends, I'm going to tell you, God isn't 
upset with you, if that's you, God isn't disappointed in you. Someone else might be, but it's not God. And if you try to listen past the yelling and past those echoes of people's voices and you tune your, your ear towards God's voice, and if you do that, you'll hear, I think, I believe that you'll, got, you'll hear God telling you something and it'll be quiet and still and it'll be almost impossible to hear, maybe even a mere whisper, but if you, if you just quiet yourself enough, you'll hear it. I love you. I forgive you. You're enough. Can you hear it? So who is a God like you? A God who can muster up all the forces of heaven to confront and denounce those who abuse their power, hoard their wealth, and hurt other people. And a God who can speak with the most tender and quiet voices for those who are hurting or broken or lost. And friends, I've been the person who God needed to confront. I have. And I've been the person who God needed to come and graciously comfort. And I am so thankful for both. So which tone do you sense God is speaking to you today? I'm going to bet that for many of you in this room, uh, my hope anyways, is that somewhere in this service, maybe during this talk, God has already made that clear to you. We're going to transition into a time where we take communion. Before we do, I want to, you to hear the last two verses of the book of Micah as a final blessing, as a place of reflection, a, a final encouragement out of this book. Micah ends thinking both uh, of, the, uh, of the proud and the humble, and he says this about God. He says, God, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham, Abraham and you pledged, as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. God will have compassion on us. God will take our sins and stomp them out. God will take our mistakes and failures and hurl them into the sea because God is faithful. God is love. God has pledged a life for us. We need only receive. And that's where Micah ends. Our sin doesn't stand a chance with God because God is faithful and God is love. The end. Let's pray. God, as we come before you and as we begin to receive um, your gift, uh, your body and your blood and all that they represent, continue to help us. Lord, we lift up our hearts to you and we we ask that you would, in fact, forgive us our sins. We have not always loved you or loved our neighbor as ourselves. We lay those before you. We don't set ourselves up as someone who has it all figured out or as someone who uh, 